everyone. Welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way podcast. I'm Mallory. And I'm Carol. And we're so glad you guys are joining us today. And we've kind of been out for a little bit. We haven't intentionally been doing that. We've been trying to get um, just some content out to you guys every Tuesday, but we've been kind of busy lately. So we'll do a little update. So I guess I haven't shared this, but I am pregnant with my third little one on the way. I'm in my second trimester. So it's been busy and I've been kind of sick, so I've been in and out. So, um, that's what I've been up to. I'm so excited and yeah, excited that I get to do this while I'm pregnant too. So that's good. I know we're going to have to schedule some and get some recorded before you're out on maternity leave. When do you do? Yeah. Uh, mid February. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have a couple months before that. I'm so excited yeah. for you. Oh my I gosh. know. You guys are such too. a beautiful family. Thanks. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. So yeah, Carol, what have you been up to lately? How about you share? Uh, gosh, yes. We just finished a seven week Bible study on the Holy Spirit. So mm-hmm. that was great. We are actually going to turn it into a seven part podcast. So I think I'm going to start recording that this week. And so hopefully next week or the week after we'll have our first episode out on that. But that one was really great because we discuss, we just kind of went there. We talk about what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? What is the anointing of God, the gifts of the Spirit, mainly those nine power gifts that people don't like Mm -hmm. to talk about in church. Uh, We talk about the fruits, cultivating fruit. We talk about the spirit of truth and we talk about holiness. It's just such a powerful, Mm -hmm. it was a great study. So yeah, we just finished that. So I was a little busy with that. Um, but our next study we're going to launch in February is a seven part series on the seven churches of revelation, which I'm really excited about that because I've taught on the seven churches before through our revelation series and other places and really try to get people, help them see, um, the things that the churches were wrestling with back then are things that churches today are still wrestling with, Mm -hmm. but not only that, but how those seven churches are a picture of what I believe believers are going to face um, uh, towards the end of the age. So mm-hmm. it's a, that's going to be a really powerful study. I'm super excited about that. Yeah. yeah. I'm so excited about that because as you're saying that, I'm thinking, I don't, I've been, I listen to a lot of different churches, a lot of different podcasts, stuff like that. I haven't heard much teaching on the seven churches, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because it is going to be what we're coming up against mm-hmm. and a lot of things that we see in the church today. So I think that's so good. And you guys, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit study when it comes out, because at least for the ones that I've been able to go to, and then I've also listened to them um, when I wasn't there, I am sitting in the front frantically <laughs> taking notes. It is it so great. powerful. And so many people were just so blessed and changed by it. So mm-hmm. I just think that you do such a good job teaching on the Holy Spirit because it's so clear and plain. It's just the word. We've made it, we've made yeah. it so complicated and it is yeah. it is truly so essential to our faith, the Holy Spirit and when you yeah. realize all the aspects of him at work in your life, you want nothing else but him. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. the spirit of Jesus. So I mean, it's just mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. Well, and talk about the seven churches if we're going to overcome in the end times how are we going to do it? You said this. I thought it was so good. We're not going to overcome the end times with our theology. We're going to overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need this study, share it when it comes out, listen to it. 
and pass it around. So that's coming. But you guys, I'm really excited about today's topic because kind of a hot topic that really has been confusing in the church. And quite frankly, I don't think that the majority of the church has been biblically taught on this topic. And this topic that we're talking about today is judgment. And the question with it is that should we as believers judge others? Well, before you were quickly reply, no, <laughs> with hopes not to be canceled by cancel culture and quote Matthew seven, judge not, or you too will be judged. Let's, we're going to take a deeper dive into that particular scripture today and look at the Bible as a whole. What does it say about judgment? And we want you to know that today it's not going to be our own personal opinion. If we should judge or not, we're simply going to be pulling out on scripture, the answer to this really difficult question in culture and in the church, because it's really seeped its way into the church too, I think, not having a biblical understanding of judgment. Yeah, I'm excited too. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that was a great opening um, introduction for that because, um, and we're definitely, you know, we this won't be one of those 10 minute podcasts that, you know, that <laughs> you're hoping, <laughs> yes, you might need to take yeah. it in chunks because this is just one of those topics you just can't breeze through mm-hmm. and gloss over certain things. But also, um, you know, it's not going to be an exhaustive look. We All of our podcasts, we really are just hoping it ignites something in you to go and research yourself. We always say, you know, go to the word yourself and, mm-hmm. and test everybody and everything, including us. And so yeah. that's always our encouragement, um, always. And um, okay, so yeah, I'm looking forward to today's topic. And this topic actually came up on a text thread that Mallory and I were both on. And what happened was a friend from the East Coast was asking some of us to pray about a particular situation taking place at a church that her niece attends. The church apparently had decorated their building for Halloween, and they did so with some really dark and demonic decorations. So this woman's niece wrote a letter to the pastor addressing the situation, but ended up stirring up a hornet's nest instead. And she believes, her niece believes that her pastor must have felt judged because he came back at her with a less than desirable response. He actually shamed her. And that made her feel so bad. And she, she felt bad because she wasn't trying to judge anybody. And so that was the discussion we were having in our text thread. Is it wrong to address concerns in the church or in the body of Christ that seem to run contrary to God's biblical standard for his church? Because actually, you know, we got to remember it's his church. We may have mm-hmm. buildings, but it's his church. So that's the big question and the reason why we are discussing it, discussing it today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so good. And that's what you said. Uh, what you said is that he shamed her. And I think that when people say, use this verse in Matthew seven, well, don't judge me. And that Christians are called not to judge because it's in Matthew seven. A lot of times it's to shame someone. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we're going to go over today what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seems like everyone in America today, they know that Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, like you said, but how many people know that Jesus called us to make righteous judgments? And that Paul called us to judge fellow believers. I'm not sure if many Christians realize that. Mm -hmm. You know, today, Mallory, I know you agree with me on this. You know, people are tiptoeing around a lot of issues in the church. And when I say church, 
I don't mean um, like your church. I, I mean the 30,000 foot view of the body of Christ in America or in the West. And when we say the West, we mean like Europe, Canada, America. It's a general speaking. This may not even apply to you. You may be doing everything great. Your church may be doing everything mm-hmm. right. So please don't hear us on that or assume that. But people are tiptoeing around a lot of issues in the church for fear of being shamed and perceived as judgmental. Nobody wants that, of course, but does that mean we just sit back and say nothing? That we turn a blind eye to sin or incorrect theology or certain practices taking place just to make sure we're not ostracized or we don't lose any favor or any friends? And so something's just off. Because even if we do speak up, or we try to have a conversation, oftentimes we're called out by the don't judge crowd, when many times the don't, ju- the don't judge crowd are actually guilty of the most ugly judgmentalism and name calling, mm-hmm. completely oblivious to the hypocrisy of it on their part. I mean, I, and I look at myself, I can only speak for myself here, but is it wrong for me to respectfully call on a pastor to make a clear statement on, or at least, the, or at the very mm-hmm. least, understand where they stand on a topic pertaining to, say, sexual immorality or abortion or other biblical moral issues? Is it wrong for me to ask those questions and then have a fruitful dialogue on the subject and not be called judgmental for asking? Because that's happened to me. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times. And I know it's happening to some of you out there as well. You're trying to figure out where your pastor or elders even, or even believing friends stand on certain issues, clearly stated in scripture. And we leave those conversations feeling like the bad guy for even having the audacity to ask Mm -hmm. such questions. And this is precisely what's creating the big divide we're all experiencing within our churches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. So good. Um, So... Mallory, you know me, I always like to back the bus up for just a minute and, and get us to some technical stuff. But I knew when we were putting our notes together, you were going to do all the research. Little did I know how much. I, no, but so it's so good. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's so good. You know, um, yeah, when it comes to, to, biblical, to our biblical calling for us not to judge, there are definitely some standards we are to adhere to that the Bible makes sure we want to adhere to. Jesus, Paul, and James, they said in the strongest terms that we were not to judge hypocritically or superficially or falsely. And we were not to condemn, like Mallory mentioned in Matthew 7. We're also not to pass judgment on one another on disputable matters, nor judge God's will for another believer. That's in Romans 14. And we were not, we are not to speak evil of one another. That's James 4. That's slander against another believer. And that's happening right now. Believers in disagreement are speaking bad of each other behind their back rather than going straight to that believer to address the situation. At the same time, though, the entire Bible calls us to make moral judgments, Things that Paul himself called out within the churches, things like sexual immorality or impurity or idolatry or sorcery or strife or jealousy or fits of anger or rivalries or dissensions or divisions or envy, and he named more. So where did we get this idea that judging believers is wrong and that even moral judgments are wrong? And this is what we want to try to dig into. So because of that, 
we're going to try to go at this in several ways. We'll talk technical for a few minutes and um, about what that word judging really means. Then we'll bring in some examples to tie this into present day realities. So I'm going to explain what the word and wording means for judging and judgmental and all that. And then Mallory's going to come in after that with some scriptural examples. Does that, does that sound good? Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to add to that? No, I think that's great. Okay. So let's touch upon what that word judge or judging means first in the context of how we're discussing it today. That, and I'm even thinking maybe the word judgments, when you see that word judgments in the Bible. And I'm thinking, maybe let's start with that word judgments first, then we'll back into that word judge. Because I think if we do that, we'll have a clearer picture of what it all means. Mm -hmm. So judgments is a judicial word, both in the Hebrew, which is your Old Testament, and the Greek, which is how your New Testament was written. Now, keep that in mind when you come across the words judgment or judgments or judge in your Bible and try to picture picture it judicially, picture a courtroom or court proceedings, excuse me, when you see those words, looking at them from a lawful judicial sense will help you understand how and why those words are used throughout the Bible. So one Hebrew word used for judgments is mishpat. And what that means is binding law or a verdict or a judicial decision. So picture that in a courtroom. But it also means the rights of someone. So it's a word that has two main takeaways. The first deals with the act of someone sitting as a judge, hearing a case, and then rendering a proper verdict. And an example of where that word is used is Ecclesiastes 12, 14, where it says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That same verse is repeated by Luke in Luke 12, 48. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So it's saying God is judge. Picture the courtroom. Jesus is the judge at the end of the age. Paul tells us we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he is going to bring our works into judgment. We see God as judge clearly in some of the gospel parables, in in parts of the gospels, in the epistles, and in Revelation. But this word also can mean rights belonging to someone. For example, the poor. In Exodus 23, this word is used, don't pervert the judgment of the poor in his dispute. So in other words, don't don't take advantage of the poor when they're disputing something. The judge has granted rights for the poor. He has already judged their case. He's made a decision on the poor and on the widow and on the orphan. That's why you see that repeated throughout scripture to come to their defense. God has already rendered a judgment there. This is also why the prophets called on their people to judge righteously, meaning to adjudicate on someone's behalf. Take up their righteous cause to expose the wicked and the rule against them. That's why the Hebrew verb judge is used frequently in calls for social justice, not the social justice the world has perverted today for selfish gain, but biblical 
social justice. Mm. As in Isaiah 117, when he says, bring justice to the fatherless, in contrast to the wicked who do not bring justice to the fatherless. Mm. So I hope that makes sense yeah. a little bit. But this Hebrew word is found all throughout scripture. And so if you picture the courtroom, it's just helpful. For example, in Psalm 105, 7 to 8, it reads, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generation. Judgments here is the same word. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's lawfulness, his binding law. And it's saying that his lawfulness, whether it's the law of creation the law of the universe, whatever it is, it's in all the earth. His judgments are all around us. His law is all around us. Mm -hmm. And then in Psalm 119, it uses that same word in 23 verses. And sometimes you'll read it as righteous judgments. In other words, he's perfect and right in his lawfulness. That's why he's called Lord of all. He has every right to judge. He has every right to be judicial, to render verdicts, to establish perfect law in the land, perfect law in us through the Holy Spirit, and perfect law in his kingdom. So do you all have a bit of a picture? Any questions on that, Mallory? No. <clears throat> I'm just so grateful for you. I feel like I'm getting so smart. I'm going to go <laughs> share this. So There's many... a test later. <laughs> yes, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now the Greek, really quick. Again, we're doing the technical part <laughs> first. But now the Greek, um, the Greek is your New Testament, and that word is krisis, and it's used judicially also. And that word is the process of investigation or distinguishing or separating. So if you're in a courtroom and they're trying to distinguish between right and wrong, for example, and then it's passing judgment once you've determined that it's passing judgment on a situation or person. So it's judicial authority. Well, one chapter I would like to point out is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's interesting. It's the passage that talks about believers taking their cases before unbelievers to settle a matter. And it says this, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are, who are least esteemed by the church to judge? Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they have to judicially work through disputes mm -hmm. on what is right or wrong. They have the authority in Christ to render judgments within the body of believers because one day they will judge mm -hmm. angels. Surely, he writes, they should be able to judge disputes mm -hmm. in their midst. That's a big deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even in Revelation 16, chapters 16 and 19, that word is used again about righteous judgment. That's what we're talking about. But then you have the root of that word krisis, and it's krima. And that means there's already a sentenced, sentence that's been pronounced. There's already been a verdict, a decision. And we see this in Mark chapter 12, verse 40, with the criminal at the cross telling Jesus to save himself, when the other one rebuked mm -hmm. him and says, do you not even fear God 
seeing you are under the same condemnation? Mm -hmm. Both criminals were already condemned in God's court. Unless they gave their life to Christ, the one who took their judgment, condemnation upon himself, he paid their ransom. That's the case for anyone out there. God has already rendered his verdict on people. They're condemned. It's a harsh reality, but there is a way out. Only through Jesus Christ can we now be justified, found guiltless in God's court. No one gets to the Father except through the Son. Now here's a big one. Or what about a church leader? In 1 Timothy 3, in verse 6 especially, but it's talking about the qualifications of an overseer of the church, and several qualifications are listed. But he finishes up by saying, make sure this person is not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Mm -hmm. It's that same word. That's a somber thought. It means that this position is being judged. It's being investigated. It's being distinguished. That's quite a serious thing when you think mm -hmm. about it. If you're somebody out there shepherding people in any way, in any, any way, we all must do it with the utmost humility and requirements Paul mentions. They're God's sheep, not ours. And then we have that well-known verse that you've, you mentioned in the beginning, Mallory, Matthew 7, 2, that says, Judge not that you may be judged, for with that judgment you judge, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use will be measured back to you. This verse indicates a decision that is passed. And so whatever process you used to judge someone, to make that decision, whatever investigation took place to come to the decision you came to to judge someone, that same standard you used is going to be used against you. I mean, ouch. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. It's a bit, any comments on that? No, I think that is really good. And um, yeah, just really sobering too. I'm glad you went through those verses. Yeah. And I'm almost done. And then we're done with the technical part. Anyway, I just, so needed to, I just needed to back into that in order to now talk about judging others. In the text thread with our friend, we shared with her a verse out of 1 Corinthians 5. And I'll get to that in a second. But what was happening, her niece felt shame after her pastor's reply, as I've said before. She felt bad for questioning because she was made to feel as though she was judging her pastor for asking about something unholy mixing mm -hmm. with the unholy. Why is that so bad to ask? So the verses we gave her are out of 1 Corinthians 5, the very end. But I think I need to read what precedes that to give proper context. And here's what it reads. I wrote to you in my letter not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I did not mean the sexually immoral people of this world mm -hmm. or the covetous and extortioners or the idolaters, since you would then need to go out of the world. Mm -hmm. But I've written to you not to keep company with any man who was called a brother who was sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. Do not even eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are, who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But God judges those who are outside. Therefore, put away from yourselves that wicked person. Mm -hmm. I mean, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, if you're wondering where that's at. Paul could not have made himself any more clear. Mm -hmm. 
If someone claims to be a follower of Jesus, but is walking in open, persistent, unrepentant sin, then we are to judge them, meaning make a right judgment, a righteous judgment. And the next comment from Paul is where people really struggle. And then cut off all fellowship Mm -hmm. with the goal being not because you want to cut them off, but their repentance. Yeah. Maybe perhaps realizing they can't bring that sin into the church and now they're cut off until they get things right. Maybe it will get them thinking about making some changes and repent, which means to change, Mm -hmm. change your mind, turn around. Now, when it comes to the people of the world, though, whom Paul plainly described as being idolaters and swindlers and sexually immoral, we are not to judge them, by which Paul meant not breaking off our association with Mm -hmm. them. Now think about that for a minute, Mallory, and chime in, please. Doesn't it seem like we flip-flopped, like everything's flip-flopped right now, or is it me? I mean, we just had an election last night, right? How many of us said something judgmental about people of the world Mm -hmm. or people in the election or Mm -hmm. media or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. We're so quick to judge the world. We judge government officials. We, Mm -hmm. like I said, different media personalities. We are judging politicians. We're judging teachers. We're judging bosses. We're judging family members we're not in agreement with. Many of us will make comments about people all day long, but we're not judging anything immoral in the church, which right now is fraught with error, Mm -hmm. even from well-meaning individuals. I mean, doesn't it seem like it's a bit twisted? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so to repeat, Paul says loudly and clearly, we are to judge those inside the church. Continuing this theme in the next chapter, chapter six, which I just read a few minutes ago, where he reminded the Corinthians that one day they're going to judge angels. And by judge, that's a verb. It means to distinguish, to give an opinion on, to decide. But sometimes this word in the Strong's Concordance also means to condemn or punish. What is this talking about? Paul says that believers are to address sin and sinful patterns taking place within the church. And I think I think you're going to explain that in a bit more, Mallory, about all that. But the one place we are not to judge yet is the world. That's going to come later. We're going to have our time where we judge the world and judge angels. Mm -hmm. Because right now the Holy Spirit is still actively at work in the world to draw people to Jesus. That's why we can't judge the world. We don't know who Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit's working on. He could be working on that politician's heart. He -hmm. could be working on that media personality's heart. But I think that's also why the Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And, yeah. and Paul always addressed that leaven within the church. It doesn't take much to corrupt God's church. We need to be very aware of that. And we need to discern what's taking place in the house of God, in Christianity, in order to keep things pure, which is what God is after, a pure church, yeah. not a mixed church. And that's not exactly the case right now. I think there's different Jesuses being presented, different spirits at work, and different gospels going around that are not lined up with the Word of God. And we must start asking questions. We must start understanding where church leaders stand Mm -hmm. on serious biblical issues. In other words, don't let the sea get into the lifeboat. The lifeboat's got to be in the sea, no doubt. But when the sea gets into the lifeboat, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. The church must be in the world, but when the world gets into the church, it sinks. And you can't save anybody. Wow. (laughs) 
so, so good. I feel like we could honestly end there. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I can't remember the stats right now on Barna, but I've been feeling so much lately too. just confused. I don't think that the world knows what the church is and what we stand for because there hasn't been judgment in the church. And so there is a lot of confusion. And even now, you know, when I first became a believer about seven or nine years ago, um, well, really gave my life to the Lord. When someone would say they're a Christian, I'm like, amen, that's amazing. And now someone says they're a Christian and I'm kind of wary. What, what do you really believe? Do you really believe the Bible and, and these things to be true? And so I think just what you were explaining really gave me understanding of, I think it's because we haven't been judging in the church mm. and we haven't been cutting off people for repentance mm-hmm to come back to the truth and really standing upon the truth. And, um, yeah, that just, (laughs) I learned so much from you. I'm so grateful for you. So that was so good. But, um, yeah, well, I'm going to go into that scripture that we mentioned just because this is used so often as a response to criticism that's giving, given or calling out unrighteousness, that verse that's found in Matthew seven, it's seven, one, two judge, not lest you be judged for with what judgment you judge, it'll be back to you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And Carol, you touched upon that word and what that actually meant. And so I wanted to dive into the full context of what exactly this scripture means. Like I said, because I don't want to move on to other verses. If some of us still feel confused on what Jesus meant here, because it's used so often, I feel like I need to go into it. So if Jesus is telling us here not to judge, you know, what exactly does he mean by that? You know, how as we, how are we as believers meant to live in response to this scripture? Because like Carol mentioned, and I'll mention a few later, there are a lot of verses that we find that we are meant to judge believers in the Bible. And so is Jesus contradicting himself here in Matthew 7? Absolutely not. So we're going to read this verse as a whole passage just to hear that point that Jesus is really trying to make. So I read that first part, judge others, it'll be measured back to you. And then I'll pick it up. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And so that's that verse. And that's Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And so, yeah, we see that Jesus, he says not to judge, but then he says, says in the same exact passage that we're not to give to dogs what is sacred or throw our pearls to pigs. And then even a little later in the sermon, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And that's verse 15 and 16. And so, well, then we have to ask ourselves, how would we discern between dogs, pigs, and false prophets unless we're able to make judgments on people's doctrines and their fruit? And so we know that when we look at this passage as a whole, Jesus, he gives us permission to tell what is right from wrong, to judge what we see. And when it says, do not judge, it does not mean that we're not to identify sin for what it is. 
because this is where I see this verse quoted a lot amongst unbelievers. And now so many believers, unfortunately, we see this a lot, right? For example, I'm going to go there. Someone might call out homosexuality as a sin and people respond with, well, you're not supposed to judge people. Well, when Jesus says, do not judge, he's not talking about he's not talking about judging people. He's talking, he's more concerned about the hypocritical heart. He's saying that we must not judge others for what we ourselves are guilty of. And that actually we condemn ourselves when we hypocritically blame someone. And so I'm going to go down this a little bit, just because I think that our role as believers to judge in the church, we want it to be done so purely and so righteously. And so I want to go against that, that hypocritical spirit that Jesus was talking about to really unpack this. What is he really talking about? So we as believers can judge righteously. So it makes me think about the story in John eight. If you guys remember this one, it's about that woman who was caught in adultery, right? And the poor woman, even though she was in the act of adultery, she's pulled into the town In the middle of the act, I mean, can you imagine this? To be stoned by the Pharisees and people around, which was from the law of Moses. Well, Jesus came onto the scene, if you guys remember. And if you guys remember about Jesus, he had a very difficult time with the Pharisees because they were so hypocritical. And he calls them out. And um, he calls us out in them when he interrupts the scene and says, this is John 8, 7. He says, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And what happened after this is that all of those who were going to throw the stone at her, they retreated because they knew that they were all sinners. They had to realize, oh, there's actually sin in my own heart. And the problem with these Pharisees were that um, they were always the first to call out sin in others, but they never examined their own heart. And I even want to read, um, just go a little bit further. So there's a part in Matthew 27 or Matthew 23. Actually, I think all of Matthew 23 is where Jesus really goes after this behavior of the Pharisees. I might skip through a little bit, but um, this is verse 23, 1. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and they put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will let, nor will you let those enter who are trying to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then he just goes to, woe to you, blind guides. He just keeps going on, woe to you. And I wanted to read a bit of that because I think it's perfect context for that heart behind what Jesus is trying to address there in Matthew 7. He's warning us, first examine ourselves for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so we are to ask ourselves, before the Lord. Are we right with the Lord? Is there sin in our life that we need to repent of? We're first responsible for ourselves and how we stand before the Lord and use that measure of judgment on us first. And then from there, we are to obey the scriptures to judge others in righteousness. 
And I'm going to mention a few verses. You did a great job mentioning some verses and explaining those too. But I think that's just really key when it comes to judging others. And um, I wanted to go back actually and finish that story with the woman caught in adultery. And you mentioned this too about condemnation, but this is such a good picture of it. Um, that woman caught in adultery, he said, if any of you has sinned, throw the stone. So then they all walk away because no one has thrown the stone. But then Jesus comes up to the woman after and asks her when everyone has left, he said, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so that's John 8, 10 through 11. And what Jesus is saying, the Pharisees, they were condemning this woman. And he was calling out the Pharisees not to condemn her. Jesus didn't even condemn this woman. And so that is why we're called to judge. Jesus didn't separate the sin for the woman. She said, he said, go and sin no more. Um, but he didn't condemn her. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Those are two really great examples. That mm-hmm. woman, the woman story is powerful because I think, and, and don't hold me to this, but I think in the law of Moses, both the adulterer and the adulteress were supposed to be stoned. And so for them mm-hmm. to only drag out her mm-hmm. <clears throat> was very hypocritical. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so when you're talking about that judgment of their hypocritical, they were judging hypocritically. Mm-hmm. And I think that was that such a great point you were making is examine yourself first. And, and I think mm-hmm. about that um, in relation to people in the church right now, when we judge each other, some people, if you are of a legalistic bent, you're going to judge from that legalistic viewpoint to mm-hmm. somebody. Maybe they're not legalistic enough for you. If someone's very mm-hmm. free and liberty in the spirit, um, someone who's legalistic might not agree with that, or someone who's very liberated in the spirit might not agree with legalism. Mm-hmm. And you see how people can judge each other so easily based on their bent of whatever yeah. it is they're operating in. And so mm-hmm. I just found that so interesting. I just think your yeah. spot on there. And I also mm-hmm. thought you were spot on because we are not called to condemn. Mm-hmm. We don't know what is in someone yeah. else's heart, nor we, can we judge their motives, nor should we have a condemning attitude, but rather we should always be offering grace and mercy and the possibility of repentance and forgiveness. And we should be the models of compassion. You touched upon that righteousness, you know, that righteous judgment. That's what it is. We should be models of compassion, being quick to forgive, always given the benefit of the doubt, repaying hatred with love and cursing with blessing. So yes, it is sinful and wrong for us to judge superficially, to judge hypocritically, to judge falsely, to be judgmental, to condemn, to put ourselves mm-hmm. in the place of the one true judge to whom all will give an account. But by all means, we must obey the Lord's mm-hmm. call to make righteous judgments. Jesus said it in John chapter 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but practice righteous judgment. Jesus commands us to judge. And you made an excellent point. Examine yourself first. Step away for a moment. Mm -hmm. Ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. I'm in that season right now. Mm -hmm. I think you know that I'm going into the wilderness with my beloved for a while. For many reasons, and it's wonderful. Uh, he draws us in. Sometimes when I say draw us in, he draws us away from things sometimes because sometimes you have to be drawn out before he can put you back in. And so it's okay to go into those seasons, but maybe that's a message for someone out there. Maybe 
maybe you're experiencing this where you need to do some self-examination. You need to go into the wilderness for a while mm-hmm. and study the scriptures and let the scriptures be a mirror to our own souls. Um, because like I said earlier, Mallory, gosh, things are just flip-flopped. I mean, the world, we're so vocal in pronouncing our judgments about the world, but we are deathly silent on pronouncing any righteous judgments within the church. And I believe, and this is just my own opinion, you guys can throw it out, it doesn't matter to me, but I believe one of the main reasons why is because we preach in all love, no judgment Jesus. Mm -hmm. And from that, we've embraced a belief that it's unloving to call out sin Mm -hmm. and judge another brother or sister. We hear that and well, no one wants to be known as unloving. I mean, right? I don't. Mm -hmm. And so we back away because we don't want to create any controversy. We don't want to be known as the unloving one of the congregation, do we? Mm -hmm. But that doctrine is such a lie. If we do it Jesus's way, it's righteous. So sneaky how deception can come into the church. Mm -hmm. Now everybody's silent. Nobody wants to offend anybody. But Jesus, he believed in the judgment of God so much that he took the judgment meant for us and took it upon himself so we wouldn't have to face it. What compassion. I mean, what mercy, what grace. But God is still going to judge the world and all those who don't believe. And for believers, we'll be judged for our works, like we mentioned earlier. And so I do. I believe this is one of the great deceptions ensnaring the body of Christ and keeping us silent right now. This issue of judging nothing within the church. You know, it's it's easy to find a teacher to tell you what you want, friends. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to ask yourself, am I just trying to find someone to tell me what I want to hear? Or do I really want truth? Yeah. I was reading an article... And one person said it like this, the great sin is that the church has abandoned God's righteous standard of determining what sin even is. Hmm. You cannot love the Lord or your neighbor properly if you make his commands null and void. For it is written, for this is the love of God Hmm. that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That's 1 John 5, 3. You know, there are many Christian teachings today. If I, I I don't really, Hmm. I guess I'll go there. There are many Christian teachings today that are offering an unoffendable, non-judgmental Jesus, and they seem to be content with that. And I'm just not like that. Mm -hmm. Someone today is going to die in sin without Christ under judgment. And I can't help it. I ask questions. I want to know what people truly believe. I want to know if the people I'm learning from are teaching from the Bible Or are they teaching doctrine made by man? Or are they teaching doctrine that's coming in from mystic teachings, which is really huge right now in the church? Or are they teaching a blend or a mixture? What are they teaching? What Jesus are they presenting other believers? What gospel are they presenting? What spirit is really at work? And so I've pulled away from a lot of environments for this very issue. It's really gray out there. And sadly, Mm -hmm. Mallory, We can't see that we are neither hot nor cold in the West here. We can't see that perhaps the church in the West has become the lukewarm church like Laodicea, afraid to take a stand on moral issues for fear of losing our flocks or our popularity or our likability or our money. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm, and I'm not talking about anybody out there personally. Again, you may be a sizzling hot believer out there, but I'm talking about the church of Christ as a 
whole, a 30,000-foot view. This is why the church is struggling to address the many social moral issues facing us today. We're content staying right where we're at. We don't want to offend, we don't want to judge, and we're confusing many people because the sea has truly gotten into the lifeboat. You know, and, and if I can just mention this really quick, because this is kind of a hot topic mm-hmm. right now, the United Methodist Church, mm-hmm. for this very reason, yep. this is exactly what I'm talking about. One side wanted to remain rooted in historic Christian teaching on issues of faith and morals, including sexuality, while the other wanted to move in the secular world's direction on these issues. And according to Christianity Today, the United Methodist Church, UMC, which comprises 31,000 congregations in the U.S., is divided due to LGBT issues. And that is a topic that is facing many congregations apart from the Methodists that people are refusing to address because they either don't know how to or don't want to because if they do, they appear unloving or unaccepting as if they're judging someone. And so, so many pastors have stayed silent on the UMC division, on the subject of their LBGTQ issues. Same is true with sanctity of life. Many will not publicly take a stand for fear of dividing their church or losing favor with people despite what the Bible says. And I just can't be in that anymore. Mm -hmm. I just can't, Mallory. You know, when we talked about 1 Corinthians 6, you know, about where Paul was saying we're going to judge angels, you know what Paul was addressing? He was addressing a most serious matter in the church of Corinth, the sin of sexual immorality. Or in the original text, it's fornication. You know what that means? It means unlawful or illicit sexual intercourse. It's the Greek word porneia, where we get pornography. Well, (laughs) you know, in Corinth there, the church, they were indulging, engaging in unlawful and immoral sexual activity. And it was so bad in Corinth that Paul even tells them, It's of a kind, the fornication they were involved in, that is not even tolerated among pagans. Mm -hmm. And yet it was happening in God's Mm -hmm. church. And no one seemed to do anything about it. And he tells them, even though he's not there in person, he's there in spirit, and he's already pronounced judgment Mm -hmm. on the person. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. wow. Why aren't we teaching on these scriptures? And then he goes on to say, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. No one preaches on that. You know, Paul made a judgment. He made a decision. He did his investigation and he condemned this sin and he punished the person out of love for their eternal soul. Don't miss that part. We may not fully understand what this looked like at the time, but sexual immorality in any form, out any sex outside of marriage, friends, within the church is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. We already know the church has a pornography problem, but there's a lot of people, Christians living together. There's a lot of stuff going on and it's a huge deal. And Paul condemned it and corrected it immediately for the sake of their soul. And today we stay virtually silent on issues related to that. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which brings us back to the story of our friend. She judged something going on within her church, something unholy, and they didn't like it. She did what was biblical and was condemned for it. Are we ready for that? 
-hmm. Are we ready to question some things in a loving but truthful way, a righteous judgment, and then be shamed for it Mm -hmm. for the sake of the body or the sake of someone's soul? Mm -hmm. That's where I'm wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad you went there too. And I'm glad you talked about the Methodist church because I think people are thinking, what is going on? Yeah. with the Methodist and, and many other churches, other denominations that we're seeing now too. And I think that, you know, and, and people say, well, don't judge. And well, you're not loving if you're judging. And I think what it comes down to is that our definition as a Christian and the world, we have a different definition of love. First of all, God is the definition of love. He created love. He is love. And I think that we just might have to deal with that as Christians is that just because they say we're unloving, well, really, we have the real definition mm-hmm. of love and they just don't understand what real love is. Because like you said with Paul, was it Paul or Peter that you said that it was out of his love that Paul. he, Paul, that he um, was rebuking and mm-hmm. yeah. And also his obedience to God. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're going to judge the world, Mallory, one day, we all don't know what that looks like yet, this side of heaven, and we're going to be judging angels. My goodness, shouldn't we take a stand for something? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would rather, I would rather take a stand for righteousness and be hated for it than to stand for nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so good. And even talking about righteousness, I'm just going to, you know, you hit so many good points. I think I'm just going to say a few verses here. I just wanted to, just because I I knew there's a lot of verses in the Bible about judgment, but then I looked it up and wow, there's actually a lot of verses that were called to judge. And you mentioned a lot of those, but I even want to add in just a little bit more just to really bring that point home, you know? Um Yeah, but you know, and you've mentioned on this too, but just, you know, that word judge, especially to the world, it sounds really negative, but when we as believers, we do it in a righteous and holy way, um, we are supposed to do it in a righteous, holy way, and it is backed up in scripture. And so um, I know you that mentioned that one in 1 Corinthians 5, but um, you know, I actually even think about when it comes to judgment, we have to remember too that there is a whole book in the Bible called Judges. <laughs> and this book is all about people appointed by God to judge. And their purpose of this was to bring about God's righteousness yes. in his people. Yes. And so, well, there's that. <laughs> Just go read that whole book. Amen. Yeah. And then 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, he who is spiritual judges all things. So wow. if we're spiritual, we are called to judge. Um, And then... And then just one last one, there's, there are more in the Bible, but, um, the law of Moses actually says, this is Leviticus 19, 16. It says in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. And so we're not called to judge according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, that's that righteous judgment. And so we're not to judge by human standards. We're to pass judgment on no one. That's what John eight fifteen says. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those extra verses. You know, it is, here's where I'm at. It is so pleasing to the Lord when we make righteous judgments based on the clear teaching of the word and on God's holy standards. That kind of judgment saves and liberates and redeems. Never forget that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just of the mindset, let us obey the Lord. Let's make a righteous judgment. It's not judgmental. 
to obey what Jesus, how, what Jesus says or what Paul says. It's not judgmental because they practiced it. They did it. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to keep the church pure and undefiled from the world, Christians have got to start speaking up in righteous judgment. Mm-hmm. Start asking the questions. Yeah, I liked how you said it. God, that God's judgment, it liberates, it redeems. And let's just contrast that real quick to, I don't know, cancel culture. And cancel culture, it's this awful thing where now people are socially cast out by culture, but then Christians were not able to judge anyone or have any mm-hmm. negative, and I say that in quotations, opinions about anyone. And cancel culture it's all about condemning people it's all about boxing people out there's no mercy there's Mm -hmm. no grace there's no redemption and jesus has judgment because we need to know what's right and wrong but we as believers we shouldn't cancel anyone but be in the business of restoring people back to righteousness and just like that jesus just like jesus with that adulterous woman i was thinking about this story last night i'm also very hormonal just crying like god is Aww. so kind mm-hmm. he never turns his he never turns his back on us mm-hmm. you know he is all about in the business of restoring people mm-hmm. yes he judged her sin and loved her enough to lift her out of where she was And remember, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And that's the whole point of why we as Christians Mm -hmm. are to judge. And yeah, and so I guess just to wrap this up, you know, we're warned not to judge unfairly, but righteously. But also Jesus does commend us to righteously judge. We're to be discerning. We are to preach on the teaching of sin. We are to gently confront our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're also to speak the truth in love. Yeah, that was a that's a beautiful wrap up. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for mentioning cancel culture because mm-hmm. I think that's that's a real problem today mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And it's and you know, there's nothing more that the enemy wants than for us to lose our voice. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but anyway, I just wanted to, I just wanted to thank you for that. That was really beautiful. So to close, you know, whether you are the one out there who's feeling judged, or maybe there's something going on that you feel you need to question and bring up within a Christian circle, try to remember the following. Um, number one, you know, like Mallory said earlier, examine your own heart. Um, you know, try to see from what standard you're judging someone from. Are they just not lined up with you personally by what you're personally practicing? If you're legalistic or if you're very walking in the liberty of the spirit or you're walking in other things, are you trying to make sure everybody walks the same way that you do? So just really know what your motive is in judging someone to begin with. But very first and foremost, pray. Before you even bring something up to a pastor or to a family member, anybody, pray first. Always check in with headquarters. That is A number one. Ask for the Holy Spirit to give you truth about the situation. Ask for discernment. Um, Ask for his anointing so that when you do confront, it's done in the anointing of Christ in a spirit of love. Um, Always remember the courtroom picture. Does the situation line up lawfully, which means biblically? Are you bringing a judgment or receiving a judgment from a righteous place and a loving heart? Or are you doing it from the flesh, like Mallory mentioned? 
If you're offended by something or someone, why are you offended? Are you offended because you're convicted? That's a big one for people. People don't want to feel convicted. And when people start addressing things with scripture, that sword of the spirit goes right into the lie and people wrestle and get uncomfortable. And so try to figure out why you're offended or why the person you addressed is offended. What is the basis for being offended or the basis for being the offender? And then lastly, if you are righteously judging something, make sure you are not being hypocritical. Make sure you are not being superficial or condemning. Make sure also, friends, that you are not speaking evil or slandering another believer to others without addressing them yourself. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you secretly talking about them and, and um, um, what's the word, kind of tainting their, their character? You want to be really mm-hmm. careful of that. Are you judging someone from the flesh or are you judging someone from the spirit? There's a big difference. Those are all such good questions. I love the practicals. I know you <laughs> so do. Good. Go out and journal and <laughs> do what you need to do with that. Well, you guys, thank you so much for listening. And yeah, this might be one that you take in chunks, but <laughs> we're so glad that you guys, um, yeah, are listening. And we bless all of you. And if you guys have any questions or comments or anything, you can email us at preparetheway at jcmcolorado.com. Until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.